Hello and welcome to Boiled Down. I'm your host, Greg Astley, Orla Director of Government Affairs. And joining me today from the Orla team is Nicole Peterson, Government Affairs Coordinator, and Steve Scardina, Regional Representative for Portland, the Gorge, and Eastern Oregon. Welcome. Hey there. Hey, Greg. Good to see you. Steve, I know you're a little bit under the weather, so we'll try not to get you to talk too much. I'm doing just fine. Happy to be here. <laughs> well, you know what? We're happy to have you, Steve. Yeah, that's that's I understand great. I sense that. a lot of sarcasm in all of that. <laughs> not not at all. We did miss you, however, at the hospitality conference over in Seaside recently. Well, I wish I could have been there. We wish you could have been there too. It was a party and a half. I heard. It we was. Had, all we those backstories. We yeah, we had a good old time, didn't we, Nicole? I did. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else did, but I did. Laser tag. Oh, man. Giant, giant beach balls. Ooh, that laser tag. Yeah. Yeah. Cotton I blew candy? Up what was with the cotton candy? Uh, there was cotton candy and beer uh, at the uh, place where we played laser tag. So it's kind oh, of a good I combination. Oh, I missed the cotton candy. Uh, yeah. What? Yeah. So. And there was a caricature drawing yes. as well. Yes. Carousel rides. Unlimited mm-hmm. arcade games. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and we learned some things, I think, at the conference, right? We had some seminars. Greg yeah. Bell was our keynote speaker. and You learned about what's going well. That's right. What's going well? A question everyone should be asking themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's going well by what's going Mr. Well. Bell. that's right yeah. exactly uh, now available in book form as well uh, one of the things that is going well for us is the oregon tourism leadership academy here at orla uh, it's an opportunity for folks to become leaders in tourism to gain some in-depth experiences and knowledge that will elevate their passion and excitement for our state's extraordinary offerings Uh, The class of 2020 is being formed right now. In fact, applications are due November 1st of 2019. And uh, the classes will include a couple of days in each of the four seasons, spring, summer, autumn, and winter around the state. If you have more questions, you can go to OregonRLA.org backslash OTLA. And and this is open to our restaurant folk as well as our lodging it's uh, yes it's open to restaurants it's open to uh, hotels and lodging Um, we actually were talking the other day at the league of oregon cities conference about trying to get some elected officials involved in it so that they could learn a little bit more about what oregon's tourism industry offers Um, it's one of the largest economic drivers and um, it's pretty fun too so we want them to know what's going on but yes if you have questions you can also contact our president and CEO, Jason Brandt. Jason, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a really cool opportunity. You get to travel around the state and learn more about it. It's shocking to me. Okay, I'm a transplant, but it's weird to talk to so many people who've lived here for like 20 or 30 years and have never been to Crater Lake. <laughs> it's like, blows your mind. Yeah, Oregon's yeah. National Park. I'm one of them. What? I've driven past it. Tried to peek through the trees, but, but I never stop. saw it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, just trying to get to Medford. Well, you know? it's well worth uh, the detour or the um, the intentional stop, if you will, to get over to Crater Lake. So summer or winter, uh, it's great to get there. So I'd highly recommend it, Steve. All right. Put it on the I'll list. Put it on my list. <laughs> I did hood the, hood the coast. So there you go. That's okay. a little Check further. That one that's off. further a little north than Crater Lake, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have to get a map of Oregon out for this discussion today. <laughs> I know. 
Well, today we do have a, a great interview. We're talking about industry chatter around the state, what's happening where uh, with Nicole and Steve. But first, we want to make sure you're getting the most out of your membership. And to help you do that, we like to highlight a benefit you may or may not be aware of. Did you know that members get exclusive healthcare discounts from United Healthcare? It's time to look into health insurance for 2020 and don't overlook Orla's partnership with United Healthcare. Programs include up to a 5% discount on specialty benefits for fully insured groups, in addition to all the other discounts, including bundling benefits programs. And you can learn more at OregonRLA.org. If you're not a member, visit OregonRLA.org where you can join and start taking advantage of several cost-saving benefits. And now I'm very excited to get into what's been happening around the state for the hospitality industry. And we're going to start in the Portland area. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about something that's been going on for a couple of years now, ever since uh, our current president was elected, and that is the protests that have been happening in the Portland area. Uh, Nicole, I know that you were recently at a meeting with the mayor and a lot of other folks in the community yes, talking, about, talking about how we can maybe do a better job and what's going on with that. Why don't you share with everybody what, what you learned? Yeah. So at the meeting, um, there was the mayor, of course, Mayor uh, Ted Wheeler and also Chief Daniel Outlaw. They were both at the meeting as well as a lot of the mayor staff, um, representatives from the Fire Bureau, um, and then a lot of different um, community leaders, I would say, um, both like community organizations and then also, um, you know, folks from Portland Business Alliance were there. Um, a few different restaurants were actually there, uh, including Salt and Straw. So there is a good uh, sort of cross section of people representing Portland there, which is really cool. But there were some things that they wanted to talk about um, for some of the folks in the Portland community, there was a lot of questions around why isn't the mayor talking more about, you know, kicking these white nationalists out of here? Um, and it was actually really a, a really interesting response from from the mayor. He was talking about essentially he's constrained by his role as the police commissioner. Um, he has to be a neutral party and there are certain actions that he wanted to take. Um, including, you know, permit enforcement that basically he got shut down on because of how the how Portland government is structured. And he's very, very uh, um, eager to try and change that if possible. But uh, yeah, so it was interesting to hear more about that that I didn't necessarily realize was part of his struggle in sort of these protests that are going on. And to go back to what you were just saying about the structure of government, we're the largest city. Portland is the largest city in the country that still has this commission-style form of government where the five right. commissioners, including right. the mayor, yep. are equal votes uh, on the council, and it's not a it's not a strong mayor form of government. So Yes, the, so they run the bureaus. Right. They don't have a professional city manager. They don't have professional— Yeah, there's not uh, that layer of separation where they get to be like the political figure instead of, you know, the the man on the street, right, doing the work. Right. So it's a very awkward situation to be in and one that a lot of the f the current commissioners and the mayor, a few of them, are not very happy with how no. it's structured. Right. Also compounded by the fact that uh, each commissioner is elected citywide as opposed yeah. to having a geographic area of Portland that they represent, kind of their community. So instead, 
Uh, each of them represents the entire city, which can make it difficult to advocate for certain areas. Or uh, because the bureaus change, uh, you may be in charge of transportation during the first part of your term. And then if the mayor decides to change up the bureaus, suddenly you're in charge of the fire bureau, for example. Yep. Um, and now you're advocating for them as opposed to advocating for transportation or all of the bureaus. So, yep. um, yes, that can make it difficult. Well, Nicole, I know that following those recent protests, the mayor also uh, had proposed and, and carried out kind of a shop local weekend. And there mm -hmm. were some benefits to that as well. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it was really neat, actually, what they did. Um, it was called the Shop Eat Play campaign. And basically, they um, so the protests that were going on, uh, they were on August 17th. And so a lot, a lot of businesses um, closed down, um, decided to close down that right. day uh, to protect their employees, essentially, um, because a lot of their employees were scared um, about what was going to happen because of what was going on in the national media and what was being reported. Um, people were talking about bringing weapons. And um, so out of, out of concern for their employees, a lot of folks sh shut down their places and I mean, I think the estimate was maybe overall um, cost to the city was six million mm. that day. Um, and so what they did decided to do the next weekend um, is really promote downtown and inner east side businesses um, to do this shop eat play campaign. So I think um, it sounded like from what I've read and what I've heard that people did actually see a, 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 an uptick. Um, in business that day. So that was really cool that I think Travel Portland also helped promote that, but not nearly enough to kind of undo the damage of that day, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, probably something that we could look at in the future just as a community as well as having, I know, you know, there's national shop local days, but uh, if every once in a while we promoted kind of a, you know, eat shop local kind of a thing, uh, might be beneficial to the city in general. Yeah, I mean, it was awesome that they decided to do that, and they are really recognizing what impact there was on our local community, and, you know, that's money out of all of our pockets, right? Right. Mm -hmm. It is. You've got uh, people staying home, not going downtown during those. Yep, yep. And so it makes sense for the restaurants to not open in the first place, you know, save the cost of their labor. Yeah, if they're the not going to have the people well. in, the, in the door. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, and it was good for the city to step up and say, hey, you know, let's have this special day and try and recoup that money for these businesses. Same thing happens out in like the gorge during the fires. Mm -hmm. Everybody's trying to help each other out there. So it's good community support. Yeah, we saw some success with the stuff that happened out in Hood River and the Dalles. Right. With kind of the post wildfire, you know, bringing people right. back in and, and there was some marketing done by, I think travel Oregon around that as well. Right. And then, uh, the snowstorms. Mm. Yeah. Poor hood yeah, river and the Dalles. They seem to get hit yeah. <laughs> summer and winter. Don't <laughs> they? <laughs> they do. Well, I know we've been working with, uh, ODOT over the last year or so to make sure that we can try to keep I-84 open, uh, during those, those right. ice storms and, uh, to try to get better communication about, when they do have to close it, whether it's for wildfires or, or other weather-related incidents. But, um, yeah, it's obviously very crucial for any of the, the businesses or the residents uh, down and uh, up and down I-84 that, you know, getting supplies in, you know, getting the, the 
stuff that they need to sell, uh, just getting tourists in there and, and being able to drive back and forth, uh, keeping that open is kind of important. So, right. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of closing down, uh, Steve, we've had a couple of breweries close recently, a couple of restaurants close in the Portland area, but also beyond. Um, well, the breweries actually haven't closed. They've just closed down a couple of their locations. Their locations, yeah. Right. So, and some of that I know was, we were hearing, you know, saturation, you know, a lot of competition in the area, but I'm sure there's other reasons maybe you're hearing more. Um, I think on the distribution end, breweries are staying strong, but uh, it's it's the restaurant end that mm-hmm. they're in the pub that they're struggling with. There's so many restaurants out there, like you say, saturation, and... Uh, where do you want to go get a beer? You know, you can go to many places to get a beer. And back in the day, it used to be, oh, there's only a few breweries out there, microbreweries. Mm-hmm. You know, Windmere. I think of Bridgeport, you yeah. know, Windmere. You know, you would go out there and get their pizza and special place to, destination to go to. And it used to be the neighborhood hangouts, but it it's changing in Portland. You know, just the growth of the city alone is really forcing a struggle and a burden on a lot of restaurants. Well, the latest one of the latest ones we heard about was Henry's Tavern, uh, which is part of the Restaurants Unlimited portfolio. Right, and uh, still not a lot of word on that, but that hap- that happened because of uh, right Restaurants Unlimited uh, bankruptcy, and so I heard also that Landry's is in the middle, or I think being today decision will be made that they're they're purchasing. Yeah, those. So I don't think it's going to stay closed, but when and what it will be when it reopens will be the question. And mm. one of the reasons Restaurants Unlimited said that they had to declare bankruptcy was their higher wages. Costs right. just kept going up on the West Coast. Uh, we actually saw this same situation uh, down in the Salem area, a smaller operation called Rock and Rogers that had um, four locations and closed one back in June. And then. <coughs> Closed two of the other four uh, just recently, um, and the owner cited the the higher minimum wages. You know, couldn't charge thirty dollars for a hamburger, um, and so we're starting to see the the pinch of those increased minimum wages every July first on on the restaurants and and the labor right. market. Right. Mm-hmm. And another thing, especially in the Portland area, I'm sure it's hitting, starting to hit Salem too, is rents. That's why Laurel Wood Brewing actually the, mm-hmm. what they cited as. Uh, their second location they decided to close because they couldn't come to an agreement with their uh owner or right building owner yeah right now rent rent is huge leases you know it depends on what neighborhood you're in uh a lot of restaurants uh waiting for their lease to expire so they can get out of that neighborhood and relocate into another neighborhood yeah well it's uh i mean again portland in particular is a very popular place right now and with that popularity comes increased costs, um, so we'll have to see what the future holds for some of our favorite establishments. Well, and interesting, um, there have been some restaurant groups out there that have looked into expanding out into the suburbs, getting out of their leases, the high cost of doing business in Portland, and moving to places like Beaverton. Beaverton seems to be the choice currently, uh, especially with the revitalization of uh, the downtown area. Uh, they were just hosting the Beaverton Restaurant Week mm-hmm. as well. Yep, yep. that's what I heard there. too. Yeah, 
a really big drive, you know, for the community. But uh, places like uh, your neighborhood restaurant group with uh, Big's Chicken moving out there. You've got Ex Novo Brewing Mm -hmm. right there in the corner. So what they're doing is kind of moving into central locations, you know, around each other. So you kind of have a choice of, hey, you know, go to the brewery. You know, I can get my beer here and then go across the street. It's kind of what I see is the concept of uh, a food cart pod, Mm -hmm. but, you know, brick and mortar style. What a great segue because we are going to talk about food cart pods as well. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's uh, I guess if you want to go a little further back, even it's kind of the, the mall food court model right you've got all those places kind of brick and mortar right right around one another a lot of choices for people um but rather than being in inside a mall they're kind of they're outside now and Mm -hmm. so but no sabaros so no sabaros sadly (laughs) no or ferals (laughs) ferals the zoo who remembers the zoo i do i remember the zoo we used to get it every birthday it was great I miss the zoo. We should bring that back. (laughs) Well, speaking of those food cart pod regulations, uh, the Multnomah County Board of Commissioners actually uh, passed uh, the first ever sanitation rules for food cart pods, which shifted some of the responsibility for the public health measures to the pod owners and operators. So a food cart pod permit will be required for each individual food cart. The permits are non-transferable. And the pod owners and operators are required to provide power, clean water, trash, and recycling services to vendors, as well as having a plan for cleaning up wastewater spills and making sure that carts are parked far enough apart to keep a fire from spreading. Uh, And that ordinance is going to take effect January 1st, 2020. So I was actually on the task force, the the work group, whatever you want to call it, uh, that kind of came up with these rules um, and it was interesting because at the same time, I was on one at the state level that was talking about uh, food carts individually and what some of the regulations needed to be around those. Um, we've seen a lot of changes with uh, the food cart pods recently in downtown Portland, Steve, with right. um, the Alder Street coming out and some of the other ones. Hotels moving in. Moving in, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, Beaverton seems to be kind of a hot spot. They have a food cart pod out there that seems to be kind of a model for other cities that want to have a food cart pod where what we've just talked about, the power and the water and everything are supplied. Um, You know, they've got the gray water uh, tanks and stuff that they need. But um, what are some of the other things that you're hearing or seeing in in the downtown area in particular around this? Uh, Food carts specifically? Yeah. Well, a lot of them are tending to move out of the downtown area because of all the well, the parking spaces that property's being bought, you know, to build buildings. So mm-hmm. it's disappearing downtown, and how to keep that uh, revitalized is kind of up to the the city itself. Uh, they are moving out to the east side. There's a large food cart pod out by uh, Hair of the Dog Brewing. Okay. Uh, recently out there so there are destinations for those food cart pods uh there's one in my neighborhood where it's a small brewery and you've got about five food cart pods around there are so you talking about bear lick bear lick yes that's all awesome. there i do yeah. a lot is it kid <laughs> friendly is it, it is kid friendly and good chicken oh cart there too oh, okay so i should check saying. that out but i was gonna say they um, my old favorite food cart pods, uh, I think we're on like division and maybe 28th, but I think that turned into 
that got sold and turned into housing. So it's a, See, yeah. a refrain throughout the city, really. Right. All right. Well, that's a good place for us to stop, take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Hello, I'm Scott Herson Horde, CEO at GNSA. As you all know, a great recipe is no good without great ingredients, and a meal can be ruined without great service. In payroll, it is exactly the same way. Great prices and great software are wasted without great service. At GNSA, we have a long history of combining great software with exceptional service. And now, through our partnership with Orla, members can add great prices to our offering. To learn more, please contact us at info at gnsadmin.com. Welcome back to Boiled Down. We're discussing the state of Oregon's hospitality industry with Nicole Peterson and Steve Scardina of Orla. Hey there. Hello. All right. Well, uh, a couple of things we're going to touch on here uh, in this segment uh, will be the recent wildfire season. I guess we can talk about it, right? It's a lack of wildfire lack, season. Sure, lack of wildfire season. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, this was a, a a good year in terms of um, Oregon's fire season. It was the mildest since two thousand and four. And the least expensive since 2010, according to statistics from the Northwest Interagency Coordination Center. That's a big, long name. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. Uh, I think we certainly noticed it just anecdotally. I mean, um, hearing from members that, you know, things were, were good. Things summer. were good, yeah. Uh, we didn't have to close down I-84, and we didn't have hundreds of thousands of acres burning where restaurants were closing and people were canceling reservations. So um, that's definitely a, a, a very positive thing. Uh, I know that the Governor's Council on Wildfires has a plan that's about $4 billion uh, to try to mitigate some of the wildfire issues over the next decade or so. Um, but what are we hearing from any of the other folks, Steve, about wildfire season this year? Uh, haven't been hearing much about the wildfires specifically other than business has been good. A lot of tourism happening out there. Uh, a lot of seats, uh, being filled at the restaurants and heads and beds at the hotels. Uh, as well as, you know, uh, wedding season was pretty strong out there as well. So trying to work through some bugs out there just with, uh, you know, uh, places to stay if you're going out there for big events. Uh, trying to increase the whole venue space for lodging. So things like that going on. And I think it was especially good this year to have sort of like a planning year, right? Um, Where you're not having to worry about lost business and just trying to stay afloat. Right. Maybe to to have a breather and be able to assess, okay, how am I going to survive the next actual wildfire season? Well, fill the coffers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, that would be nice for a change, uh, which is great. So, well, we're going to be traveling around the state, uh, so we'll see firsthand kind of some of the things uh, that, that did happen this summer. I know there were a few smaller fires, but uh, we just had our first regional meeting of this fall season. And that was in the uh, Portland area. We actually combined that with one of our Portland Kitchen Cabinet meetings. Mm -hmm. And we had uh, Commissioner Joanne Hardesty there as a special guest for the Kitchen Cabinet meeting. Nicole, do you want to share some of the things that we talked about there? 
Yeah, uh, so Portland Kitchen Cabinet is getting started back up again. So uh, we had already had this scheduled, um, this sort of round table. So it was great to be able to expand it to sort of everyone and um, get and get more people in the door. Um, we talked a lot about um, Portland Street Response, which is uh, a program that um, Commissioner Hardesty and Mayor Wheeler have been working on together. Um, and it's essentially sort of based on this model, uh, actually in Eugene, called Cahoots, where um, they might be sending uh, a person who was formerly homeless uh, as an emergency responder, really, um, instead of saying, uh, let's send this police person who doesn't have any, you know, experience or mental health background or social work background um, to deal with an unwanted person on someone's property, for example. Um, I think that's one of the uh, most frequent calls that uh, we get in the Portland area is for unwanted people and, and dispatching. So she, she talked a lot about that and um, they're working on building a Portland specific model. Um, so I think Eugene, um, the folks in Eugene have been working a lot with Portland to sort of shape how that might look. Um, Cause it's something that uh, a lot of businesses are dealing with, you know, really all over the state right? Um, and trying to find the appropriate humane response um, and get people access to services. Um, you know, there's a lot of, issues in uh, the homeless community around trust with police officers and um, outstanding warrants and that sort of thing. So sometimes getting, you know, a mental health counselor or a peer um, sometimes can have a better response. So that's kind of what they're uh, looking at doing, modeling Eugene's model. Yeah, and in Eugene, I think they've been doing it for over 20 years, they said. Yeah, I think 20 or 30. Yeah. A long time. So obviously doing some things right there, and um, hopefully it's a model that will be successful in Portland and, and beyond as well. Um, so some of the other topics I know we talked about at the meeting were uh, paid family leave legislation that just passed this last year, corporate activities tax, the um, plastic bag ban, and the straws upon request bill that was passed. Uh, we also talked about restaurant compensation solutions, including uh, tip pooling, and we just had a work group that um, finished their job uh, coming up with some ideas about that, as well as local and regional issues and the Oregon Restaurant Wage Survey. Uh, coming up, we'll be in Ashland, Albany, Redmond, Hood River, Astoria, and back again in Portland at a special meeting for our lodging operators. For the full list of regional meetings, locations, times, and dates, you can go to uh, OregonRLA.org and get some more information. All right, what else were we going to talk about now? More, more places are opening, right? That's kind of what you're seeing is just... Well, it's not more places opening. I think it's just the, the growth of the city is having a profound impact on the businesses in general, where you've got places like uh, North Williams where there's you know tons of growth of new condominiums being built and just the construction of that condominium shuts down the street causes a lot of hassle so you don't get a lot of people coming in so it's it's that's been an ongoing problem on north williams there's many things like the bike lanes you know the bike highway that goes through there yeah um, how's that been working out actually because i we 
we were on it not too long ago, and I, I mean, I know there's been some controversy, but it's also Portland, and they love their bikes. And well, it's true, and I think there was just a report done that there are less people riding bikes in the city of Portland than I think a year ago, or when they did the last did the study. Is that because they're riding scooters now? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> It's getting to be winter. Can you ride those scooters in the winter? <laughs> you can. It's probably going to be a little more dangerous, though, for everyone. So, But, um, yeah, it's the sheer growth that's happening. You know, it, it's it's just really affecting how businesses are operating. Who, who, who can you get to come to your restaurant? You know, who's going to make the drive in? And, again, we were talking about how... Uh, restaurants are moving out to the suburbs because of this. You know, you've got folks out in Lake Oswego who typically would come in to their favorite restaurant, you know, for the night, you know, catch a little bit of Portland. But you've got other factors now that are keeping them from wanting to come in. You know, we talked about the homelessness. We're mm-hmm. talking about the just the traffic and the, the growth, where to park. You can't find parking. There's just so many reasons that, People are having a hard time getting to their to their destination uh, that they're expanding out. So bring it to them, bring it out to the suburbs, and they're all happy to have their favorite, you know, restaurant, you know, St. Jack's. It'll be out there in Lake Oswego as well. So as as well as I believe Lardo. So mm-hmm. kind of a big deal, but Portland's Portland. You know, there's how many people moving here. Yeah, you know, so my brother. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's just following you out here, right? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> well, Steve, where are some of the places that you've been eating lately around the state? Well, some of the places I've been eating, uh, specifically in Portland, uh, Bullard inside the Woodlark Hotel. Ooh. Hands down my favorite restaurant right now. Wow. Uh, if you haven't been, I think. You've all been. If I, I have haven't not, taken you there yet, you know. I have not it's been there delicious. yet. So, and they've got their new fall menu coming out. So it's supposed to be like Tex-Mex, right? Yeah, kind of. Sort of. It's <laughs> yeah, it is, but it's, it's he's got his own take on it. Yeah. So it's delicious. Uh, reluctant to say, but I've got my new secret little favorite restaurant that I've been going to. Uh, not a member yet, but uh, Smoking Fire Fish. Interesting. Ooh, haven't been where there. Where is that? So it's Northeast Portland, oh. uh, Broadway, and 33rd. Oh, okay. So Hawaiian, delicious, countertop. Something to check out. Mm. All right. Very good. Nicole, how about you? Where are some of the places you've been going lately? So uh, I was in uh, Southern Oregon recently, and I decided to take a little trip to In-N-Out in Grants Pass. Ah. Uh and animal fries. That was my first time having animal fries, and uh, it's legit. It's, it tasted like a, a a Big Mac, but with fries instead of a burger. There you go. <laughs> so well, there's my review. You know, you won't have to drive as far pretty soon because they do have the new In-N-Out location in Kaiser. Yes. At Kaiser Station there. So I've been driving past it on my way to and from work, and... Uh, Looks like it's coming together pretty quickly, so I don't know if they have a date yet as to when they'll be open, but it certainly looks like they're getting close. So we'll look forward to not having to drive three and a half hours south mm-hmm. to uh, to enjoy that. 
Well, hopefully that doesn't block I-5 traffic. So. <laughs> no, just probably inside the, the Kaiser Station Mall. So, uh, well, I've got a couple of places actually. I was uh, I've been on the road a little bit recently as well, and uh, I was in Hood River and ate at Cebu inside the, the Best Western uh, nice. Hotel there with uh, Chuck Hinman, our Hotelier of the Year for Orla. Um, so had a great. Uh, pasta with a, a homemade sausage that they do there that was just fantastic. And then had the opportunity to be in Bend uh, last week. And my middle son, Matthew, is actually going to OSU Cascades now. So I took him out to lunch at a place called Super Burrito that was recommended by one of his dorm mates um, and was very good. So we enjoyed that. Um, and, it, and it was cheap enough for a college student to be able to pay even though he didn't so uh, <laughs> something to keep in mind so we, we enjoyed both of those places there you sure. go i had a super burrito in chicago that was my favorite oh out in wicker park oh okay yeah. it's probably not there not anymore. the same not, yeah. i'm sure <laughs> no i don't think so <laughs> it still might be there we have to be we'll careful sorry, these, these gonna... two are going to start reminiscing about chicago yeah. stuff in a minute if we're not careful so. <laughs> <laughs> poor cubs yeah r.i.p we're going to take another quick break. We will come back with the Advocacy Watch and coming back to wrap things up, too. If you run a hotel in Oregon, summers are crazy. Super high occupancy, events, large groups. It can be really difficult to keep up on the routine maintenance stuff that needs to get done on property. Well, as we head into the fall, Summit Cleaning and Restoration would love to help you catch up on some of that stuff. Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile and grout cleaning, or maybe upholstery cleaning in some of your guest rooms or the lobby. Give us a call, 800-769-1553, and we can help you out. We'll get you on the calendar, and we can also tell you about our special Orla pricing. Welcome back. It's time for Advocacy Watch. This is where we boil down some of the local, state, and national government affairs issues that you should be aware of. At the federal level, uh, the Department of Labor has issued a new federal overtime rule set to take effect January 1st, 2020. The rule revises the Fair Labor Standards Act, or FLSA, test for determining when an employee is exempt from earning overtime pay. And the new threshold is $35,568, which is less than the Obama administration's rule, which had sought to more than double the previous salary level uh, to $47,476. For more information on that, you can visit OregonRLA.org and look for information on the federal overtime rule. Closer to home, uh, the corporate activities tax is set to take effect January 1st, 2020. Unfortunately, rulemaking for that will not begin until January 1st, 2020, when they expect to have the first set of draft rules available. Uh, January 1st, February 1st, and March 1st will be their initial uh, draft rules with final rules coming in April, May, and June. Once again, the tax, though, will be starting to be collected um, by corporations, um, operators, or businesses January 1st. More information on that will be available through Orla as we receive it. A reminder, Chairwoman's Getaway is November 3rd, 2019. It will be at the Surf Sand Resort in Cannon Beach. This is a great way to support our political action committee at the Culinary Getaway of the Year. It's an overnight stay, reception, and chef's dinner for two for only $395. Cocktail and appetizer reception starts at 6 p.m. on Sunday, November 3rd with a multi-course plated chef's dinner at 7 p.m. 
And this is a great opportunity for a more intimate setting. Uh, you can come support the Political Action Committee, get to know some of your peers, and just have a fantastic meal and a night over on the Oregon coast. So please come and support the Chairwoman's Getaway November 3rd at Cannon Beach. Our listener question this podcast has to do with tips and when those should be paid to servers if they come through a credit card. Uh, recently, we got a question about whether or not tips needed to be paid on the next paycheck or if they could be held beyond that. Uh, if it was a credit card tip that was paid by the consumer uh, or the customer, um, intended for the server and the answer is that those tips do need to be included on the next possible paycheck for your employees so uh, if you have any questions uh, you can contact me Greg Astley that's uh, Astley at OregonRLA.org we also have uh, information on our uh, tip pooling and um, tips on our website Please keep the emails coming to info at OregonRLA.org and let us know not only your government affairs questions, but also your opinions and anything that might be going on in your area. I would like to say thank you again to Nicole Peterson, Orla Government Affairs Coordinator. Thanks for having me. And Steve Scardina, Orla Regional Representative. Always good to be here. And to you for joining me today. As a special treat, uh, we recently learned that we have quite a few listeners in Germany who download our podcast. And so to them, we wanted to say a Dankeschön and Auf Wiedersehen. I'm your host, Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs for Orla. Thanks.